Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. We are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus was talking to the disciples while there was a mountain waiting at the bottom of the hill. Jesus took them up into a mountain and the Bible said He sat down and He taught them saying. And so we're at the part in this series of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus addressed the subject of anger. I want to just kind of set this up just a little bit so we can all understand exactly what's kind of pretty close to what's going on here. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, I think think that we need to pay attention to the fact that He's talking to them about something that is coming. Now, we're living in the day day that Jesus was talking to them about. But Jesus was talking to them about something that was coming. And while Jesus was talking to them about grace, they were still living under law. What the Scriptures teach. So Jesus was still living under law even while He was teaching them about grace. And so what He knew that before long He was going to be crucified and that He was going to die and that these, these disciples were going to go around and they were going to start teaching and they were going to start preaching that He wasn't dead, that He was risen, that there is a new and a better way, that there is a new and a better covenant, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And He knew that that was not going to be accepted by the religious right of His day or the religious leaders of His day, which were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Stoics and the Epicureans and the different religious leaders of that time. So he knew that it was going to create problems for the disciples and that they were going to be the recipients of injustice many times. And so he knew that feelings of anger would rise up inside of them. And so he wanted to address this subject with them to teach them how to deal with anger. Now, just let me say this in the very beginning of this message. You know... We have been in the ministry for a lot of years. Donna married a minister. I I was in the ministry full-time when Donna married me 27 years ago. I'd been in the ministry for eight years full-time at that time. Our children, they were born. They were born into a minister's life, and they have lived in the ministry their whole life. And we've been through some stuff. And uh, let's just say we've encountered some challenging situations and we've encountered some challenging people and we've encountered, and, and there are times in our life that things have happened to us that is not exactly the way that things should happen to people, whether you're in the ministry or not. And the temptation to become angry has always been there. And I'm going to be just real transparent with you. At times it's one. I don't think there's a person in this place that can look at me and say, I've never been angry. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that the disciples were going to encounter situations in their life where they would have to deal with anger because of the way people were treating them because they were Christians, because they were embracing the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so... And so I have to kind of admit to you this morning that even while I was working on this, after all these years of ministry, it still kind of worked on me a little bit. Come on. And so I'm teaching and preaching 
not just what I've read in the Bible, which I, I've got a lot of scripture for you today, but I'm teaching and preaching on things that we have lived through. And, and I've learned how, I've learned how to uh, actually kind of deal with some. In fact, in fact, I have five biblical principles to help us hand, a, handle anger correctly. And that's going to be the meat of the message. So I'm going to be sharing that with you in just a few moments. But before we do that, I think if it was important enough for Jesus to address, then it should be important enough for us to talk about, right? So I want to begin by talking about what anger is not. You see, God built inside of every single one of us a system to recognize injustice. That intolerance for injustice was placed in us by God. It didn't come from the devil, wasn't the enemy, it was put in us by God. And so anger is not sin. Anger is not sin. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 through 27, I have this in the Amplified there for you. The Bible says this, when angry, do not sin. So just from that particular phrase right there, it's an admission by God that sometimes we would become angry. Now here's what he said, when you become angry, do not sin. So we're not supposed to sin when we become angry. And then it says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, your ex exasperation, your fury, or your indignation. Don't let that last until the sun goes down. It says, leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. And so we're not supposed to remain angry. Now, let me say it like this. Becoming angry is not sin. It's that mechanism that God built inside of us for us to identify what we feel is unjust. Okay? When it becomes sin is when we continue to remain angry. When we let anger do things to us and through us that becomes injurious to other people, that's when it becomes sin. So anger is not sin. The second thing that anger is not, anger is not anything to feel guilty about. You should not feel guilty when you recognize injustice and it makes you go, Ugh. there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's not sin. It's not wrong to recognize injustice and feel about that. Okay? The third thing that anger is not is many times anger is not the answer. It's just not the answer. So what is anger? Anger is, number one, it's an emotion. Anger is an emotion. Always remember that emotions come and go. The older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing everything doesn't have to be fixed. Sometimes if you leave it alone, it'll fix itself. Sometimes if you try to fix it, it just makes it worse. And so now I'm really interested in discernment when challenges face me rather than I want solutions, but rather than trying to figure them out, sometimes I'm trying to discern, is this something that I need to be involved in or is this something that I just need to kind of leave alone? And, you know, I know that God can fix everything and sometimes He uses me, but there's other times when I get involved and try to help God out, I just mess things up. And so I have to decide, Lord, what's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? And so anger is an emotion, and sometimes we just, we just need to let, 
let it go. Just don't worry too much about it and let the Lord take care of it. Now, Donna and I, my, my beautiful wife sitting over here, we're a little bit different in this area, okay? I'm kinda, I kind of live by the theme uh, from that, that little Disney movie, Let It Go, Let It Go. You know, that's, that's kind of the theme of my life, just whatever. Donna, she's more like, give me five minutes in a baseball bat. <laughs> she is. And <laughs> she'll tell you, she'll be quick to tell you, he's got a lot more grace than I do. He gives people chance after chance after chance after chance. Now, I'm kind of bent so far that direction that I need her because there are times in my life when I've been taken advantage of because I just believe so strongly in people. I just believe it strongly in Calvary. I believe that God can do brand new things. Now, here's, here's but just let me kind of just indulge me for just a few moments. Understanding that anger is an emotion, sometimes we just need to realize when someone becomes angry or someone does something or says something that maybe makes us angry, sometimes we need to just realize maybe they're just having a bad day. Well, you know, everybody deserves a break today. And sometimes people are just having a bad day. Come on, don't look at me like... Some of you guys have a bad day every now and then. Some of you guys aren't exactly, you know, the nicest person to live with every now and then. Every now and then we all have a bad day. Every now and then we deal with those emotions. Sometimes we get up on the wrong side of bed. I've tried this before. Getting in bed and getting back up on the other side of bed doesn't work. Sometimes it's still just not a good day. Sometimes it's difficult, right? Okay, so anger is an emotion, and we need to realize when we're involved in that, and maybe someone around us is involved in that, that they're experiencing an emotion, and we need to pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom because sometimes we can keep that emotion going, or sometimes that emotion can just pass. So anger is an emotion, number one. Number two, anger is our invitation to effect change. Listen to me very carefully right now. This next statement is extremely important. Anger can either lead to construction or destruction, and we choose. The words that we say are the tools that not only God uses, but that the enemy can use. And what God can use for us, sometimes the enemy tries to use against us. And so... We need to realize that when I, be, when I sense anger because I'm sensing injustice, that that is an invitation inside of me to affect change. Now, that change can become constructive or it can become destructive. And the third thing that I want to talk to you about anger is that anger manifests itself when we feel like that we have been wrong. Now... So we know what anger is, we know what anger is not. Now let's talk about five biblical principles to help us handle anger correctly because we realize that it's not a sin to be angry, but if we remain angry and we allow ourselves to remain angry, then that's when we can have a problem. Okay? Are you ready for principle number one? Here we go. Principle number one to help you handle anger correctly is we need to learn to control our temper. Control your temper. 
When we sense injustice and feel that we can do nothing about it, that's when we become angry and our temper can flare. Here's what the Bible says. And I have scriptures for every single one of these, all five of these. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 in the Amplified says this. Good sense makes a man restrain his anger. That's what the Bible says, okay? Good sense makes a man restrain his anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. Sometimes when we become angry, we lose our sense. Sometimes when we become angry, we say things that we really don't mean, we may do things that we really don't mean, and there are other people that are the recipients. There, Every word you speak, you need to understand there's a set of ears on the other end of it. Every action that we have, it's going to affect someone else's life. And so we need to understand that it makes good sense to restrain our anger, and some things just need to be overlooked. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 in the NIV, New International Version, says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I shared with them in the first service, I said there's an individual who is extremely angry with me and has been for a few years now. The reason that person is angry with me is because they don't know my side of the story. And every time they're around me, they just have to rail and rail and rail. They never give you a chance to say anything else. And so they're angry about something that's not even true, but because they can't stop running at the mouth long enough to listen to the truth, they're just going to have to continue to live angry. Well, pastor, why don't you just set them down and tell them you need to listen? I've tried that. And it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. The point I'm trying to make is a lot of things can be resolved if we just listen. If we just listen. One of the easiest ways to control your temper is to actually give the person who's making you angry a chance to tell you why they're angry. You need to listen. When young couples and older couples who are married are back and forth. As long as you're hollering, you're not communicating. I said, as long as you're hollering, you're not communicating. In order to communicate, you have to speak and then go, mm, and no matter what the temptation or how strong the temptation is, you can't just interject. You have to give that other person a chance to get out of them what is in them. And here's what I've learned a long time ago. I had a, an individual in my first church, actually in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, in the early 90s, had an individual come into my office. Wonderful man, wonderful man. I love him. He's, he's in heaven now, I'm sure. But older gentleman. And I'm sitting there, and it's my first church, and I've made a lot of mistakes. You know, I mean, I was 26 years old when I took that church, and I followed a, a pastor who had died of colon cancer, and they'd watched him get sick and had watched him die. And I came in there, and I was going to have revival, and we're going to build a church and all this kind of thing. And it was very difficult for them to adjust to me. And he walks into my office one day, 
And he just walks in. I mean, he didn't knock on the door, nothing. I'm sitting there. I'm working on my degrees. That's during the time I was working on my degrees. I'm sitting there. I'm working on my degrees. My wife, Donna, she's next door in the parsonage. The kids are, Nikki and Susie are like two or three years old, something like that. It's a long time ago. And so I'm sitting there and I'm working and I'm deep in thought and I'm studying and I'm trying to get this paper written and all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden, bursting through my door comes this older gentleman from the church and he stands in front of me, in front of my desk, leans across across the desk, points his finger in my face and just gives it to me. So I'm sitting here looking at this guy that's about 70 years old and I'm 26 years old and I'm sensing in my spirit, punch him in the nose. (laughs) And that's not my spirit, that was my flesh. But I was sensing in my spirit, let him say his piece. So I just looked at him and he kept going. And I just kept looking at him. And he just kept going. And I just kept looking at him. Finally, he stopped all flustered and everything. And he said, well, aren't you going to say something? And I looked at him and I said, no, sir. I think you've about said it all. (laughs) From that day on, that man was my staunchest supporter in that church. You know why? Because I listened. I gave him a chance to get out of him what was in him. Control your temper. Sometimes when people say things to you, it might get you angry. It might get you upset. But sometimes what's inside of people needs to come out. And when they finally get it out, then a lot of times that'll bring peace. Here's what the Bible said. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It doesn't mean that you don't speak, and it doesn't mean that you don't become angry. It just says, don't let it be easy. Make it slow. And then it goes on, verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. How many here want to please God? I think every single one of us want to please God, don't we? And when we are at war with one another, we're not pleasing God. Second thing, five biblical principles to help us handle anger correctly. Second thing, number one, we control our temper. Number two, We don't let anger control us. We don't let anger control us, allowing ourselves to become bitter. Because if you allow yourself to remain angry, you will eventually become bitter. And then you will become mean. And then you will become nasty. And then you will become the person that you were finding fault with. Now, you have a choice when you become angry to let it control you or to not control you. We all do. We all have that choice. We have that choice. What is the choice? I can get bitter or I can get better. And I've tried bitter, and I want to tell you getting better is better. Because it's no fun to be bitter. Sometimes we let anger control us. We let people that haven't been in our life forever Maybe an ex-husband or an ex-wife or a cousin or an aunt or a former church member or something like that. We let what they did to us so many years ago continue to control the way that we feel 
now and it makes us bitter and it messes up our love walk and everybody knows that the Bible said that faith works by love and if faith isn't working, you can't get what you're believing God for. I'm not going to let somebody who's over there somewhere eating a cheeseburger that's not even thinking about me have control over my life and stop me from getting what I need from God. So don't let anger control you. Psalms chapter 4 and verse number 4 says this, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your own bed and be still. Psalms 37 and verse number 8 says this, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil. In fact, I put it up here. There's special insight from Psalms chapter 37, 3 through 9. I want to just run through it real quick. If you'll grab your Bible and go to Psalm chapter 37, and we're going to start there. We'll just read from verse 1, 1 through 9. And I just want to show you this path. First of all, the Bible said, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither is the green herb. Verse number 3 says this, Trust in the Lord. Somebody say trust. And do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Verse number 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord. Somebody say delight. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Verse number 5, commit. Somebody say commit. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Verse number 7 says, rest. Somebody say rest. rest. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Verse number 8 says, cease from anger. Say that with me. Cease from anger. And forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit. Somebody say inherit. Inherit the earth. So here is the chronological pattern. In verse number 3, it says to trust. In verse number 4, it says to delight. In verse number 5, it says to commit. In verse number 7, it says to rest. In verse number 8, it says to cease from anger. And in verse number 9, it says that we will inherit the earth. Now, you can't trust in God and inherit... You can't not trust in God and inherit the earth. You have to delight in the Lord in order to inherit the earth. You have to commit your way to the Lord in order to inherit the earth. You have to rest in Him. And the Bible said that you have to cease from anger in order to do that. So ceasing from anger is the entire, it's in the entire equation of us receiving what we need from the Lord. God thought it was so important for us that He listed it with trust, delight, commit, and rest. The third thing, the third principle to help us handle anger correctly. What have we covered? Number one, we've covered control your temper. Number two, we've talked about not letting anger control you. Number three, we need to pray. We need to pray. People can't change people, but God can change them. I said people can't change people, but God can change them. And here's the thing that I've found out. I've found out when I start praying to the Lord concerning an individual that's been giving me some trouble, 
It's more times than not, God has started talking to me about me. But God, I'm talking to you about this person. Well, let's work on you. Let's talk about why you're reacting the way you're reacting. Let's talk about why you're thinking the things that you're thinking. And here's what I want us to understand. And here's what I think the Lord wants us to understand today. Is if we spend half as much time asking God and cooperating with God as He works on us, If we spend half as much time doing that than what we would normally spend on praying that God would change other people, I think we'd, we'd turn into pretty good Christians, wouldn't we? So my challenge to you today is when you pray, yes, ask the Lord to help you with the anger. Ask the Lord to help you with the sense of injustice. But don't forget to say, Lord, if there's something inside of me that you need to change, if there's a reason that I'm feeling this way when I'm not supposed to be feeling this way, would you open my eyes so that I could see it? Because God, I want to please you. I want to live for you and please you. So we need to pray. Colossians 3 and verse 8 says this, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. So this is God's definition of filthy communication. Anger, wrath, malice, and blasphemy. Now God doesn't tell us to put off something without telling us to put on something, right? So just go down there to verse number 12 in the same chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says to put on. Come on, somebody say put on. Put on. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, say that's me, holy and beloved, Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. So the answer to wrath, anger, malice, and blasphemy is bowels of mercies. That means mercy that comes from inside. Kindness, humbleness of mind. A lot of times we're angry because we're just proud. Humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Verse 13 says this, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, verse 14, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. This leads us to number four. The fourth principle in helping us handle anger correctly is we need to forgive. Holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Let me put my glasses back on so I can see you. Holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. We need to forgive. Well, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand how they treated me. Forgiveness is not pardon. There's a difference between forgiveness and pardon. Just because I forgive someone and establish boundaries so they can't hurt me or those that I love again does not mean that I'm unforgiving or unloving. It means I'm responsible. Johnny Allen, little Johnny here, Johnny Deskins here is one of my buddies. He made a statement to me one day, and I thought, man, that is so true. He 
He said, I've got this big circle around my family. Remember, remember telling me this? And he said, that's the boundary. And he said, someone, he said, anyone is pretty much welcome inside that circle until they hurt my family. And when they hurt my family, we tell them you get outside of that boundary and that's where you have to exist. That's where you have to live. I want to tell you something that is not unforgiving. It is not unchristian. It is not wrong. It is being responsible. And so many times, abusers are abusers. And abusers are going to abuse. And when you as a Christian tell them, wait a minute, right here's the boundary. You can't cross it. They're going to look at you and they're going to try to abuse you. They're going to tell you you're not a Christian, you don't know anything about grace, you don't know anything about forgiveness, you're a hypocrite, and all of that kind of stuff. Why are they doing that? Because they're an abuser. That's why they're doing it. Don't be surprised when an abuser tries to abuse. Forgive them, but draw the boundary. Put a boundary around your family. Put a boundary around your life. Put a boundary around those that you love. And you just tell them, we love you and we forgive you and we want you to go to heaven. But there's many buses that are going to go to heaven. You're just not going to be able to go on this bus. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? Let me, give you some, let me give you some scripture. All right. You guys are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32 says this, Let all bitterness and indignation and wrath, passion, rage, bad temper and resentment, anger, animosity and quarreling, which is brawling, clamor, contention, and slander, which is evil speaking, abusive or blasphemous language against you or others, be banished from you with all malice, spite, ill will, or baseness of any kind. So it's saying, don't just push it away, banish it. From your life. Banish it from your life. Verse 32, I like this. It says, and become useful and helpful and kind to one another. So if I'm, is, is that telling me that if I'm bitter and full of wrath and full of rage and I want to quarrel and I want to slander and I want to have all these kinds of problems going on, is that telling me that I'm not useful? Yes. Yes. You're no good to anybody when you're angry all the time. You're not. You're not. I'm no good to people if I'm angry all the time. It's not a sin to get angry. But it's a sin to allow yourself to stay angry to the point where you become bitter and develop these feelings towards people and stuff like that. Listen, let it, they're off somewhere on their boat enjoying life. Don't let them run your life anymore. Don't, just forgive them. Just let it go. They're not in your life anymore. Some people, well, you don't know what my ex did to me. That's what they are. They're your ex. They're exed out. They're gone. They're living their life. You live your life. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be free from the bondages of bitterness. You deserve to be free from the bondages of pain. You deserve to be free from getting sucked into all of that clamor and slander and anger and deceitfulness and all of that kind of thing. So Jesus knew that the disciples were going to be tempted to go down this road. 
Because the disciples were going to go out and they were going to start preaching things that was foreign to the Pharisees and that was foreign to the Sadducees. And not only were they going to be preaching it, but they were going to gain converts and those converts were going to be called Christians. And so because of it, they were going to try to crucify. Who was going to try to crucify? The church was going to try to crucify the church. Those under the law were going to try to crucify those under grace. And Jesus knew that the disciples were going to face the temptation to become bitter, to talk bad towards one another, to, to slander one another. He knew that they were also going to experience beyond the blunt end of some of those things. Did you know that Jesus was right? There's only one disciple who was not martyred. Only one. And it's not because they didn't try. The Bible said they even boiled him in oil, but he just wouldn't die. And that was John the Revelator. So become useful and helpful and kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted, forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ forgave you. Pastor, I just don't think I can forgive them. Look at Jesus as your example. Look at what he went through. He was the son of God. Look what he went through. The last thing I want to share with you is that we need to love. To love. I know this is kind of where we live, isn't it? You know, five biblical principles to help us handle anger. Number one, we, we, we've got to control our temper. Number two, we, we can't let anger control us. Number three, we need to pray. We need to pray for those that have done ill towards us, love our enemies, and do good to those that despitefully use us. And we need to forgive. And then the last thing that we need to do is we need to walk in love. Ephesians 5 and 2 says this. It's an imperative from God through the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And that imperative command was walk in love. Wasn't a suggestion. Wasn't, well, maybe you should try this. God said walk in love. And then he goes on and expands on it. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. So what he was saying was walk in love sacrificially, even if you have to do it sacrificially, do it like that. Walk in love. First John chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, no man, no man hath seen God at any time. And then here's what it said. If we love one another, God dwells in us and His love is perfected in us. What if we don't love one another? Then God doesn't live in us, does He? So, love one another... God dwells in us and His love is perfected in us. And Galatians 5 and 6 says this, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. In a small capsulated form, what he was saying was, you're used to the law, circumcision and uncircumcision, but I'm telling you now that in Jesus, in Jesus, the only thing that's going to work is faith which works by love. That's the only thing that's going to work. So we go back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, and we get this picture of Jesus sitting here in the mountain talking to the disciples about this anger. And here's what he said. We read it in the beginning. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Verse 22 says this, 
Jesus speaking. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Now you say to me, what does Raka mean? I chuckled when I looked it up again. Raka means empty-headed. That's what it means. Also, stupid. And so, when you look at someone and you say, you're empty-headed or you're stupid, and the Bible said that you're in danger of the council, and the council is God's holy word, so you can be judged by God's holy word. And then the Bible said, but I say, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Listen to me, church. I'm your pastor. I love you. I want you to go to heaven, but I also want you to enjoy the journey while you're on the earth. God's word tells us not to call anyone a fool. It doesn't matter. I mean, that, there were times I heard that. You know, in my, in my earlier years, I would hear people tell other people or even tell me, well, you're just a fool. Listen, the Bible says that we're not supposed to be angry. We're not supposed to tell somebody they're stupid or empty-headed. But if we cross the line and say you're a fool, then we're in danger of hellfire. That's what the Bible says. So I'm telling you as your pastor, don't call anybody a fool. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Okay? Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.